0: I have an exciting opportunity this morning to introduce a friend of mine who I've been anxiously awaiting to come and teach. Some of you know this, uh, but some of you don't. Our church, Fullerton Free Church, is part of a larger association of churches uh, called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And that's actually a really good thing, right? So you might not necessarily feel it all the time, but it's really good for a church to not be autonomous. It's great for a church to be part of an organization that shares values and that is uh, focused and intent on missions and church planting and supporting pastors and that sort of thing. EFCA has been a great partner and collaborator. I just got back from a pastor's conference with a bunch of EFCA pastors a couple of weeks ago. That was a great blessing to me, both to refine my own thinking, but also to contribute to the work that other pastors are doing around the country. Uh, I will say that over the last few years, when things were kind of tricky for every pastor you know, uh, it was really lovely to be able to call the EFCA and even have guys like our guest in a second uh, call me on the phone and pray for me and bless me and encourage me. Uh, You guys got to meet Tim Jacobs, our Our Western District rep, about a year ago, he was here teaching. We are blessed to be a part of the association. And we have the privilege this morning of having the president of the EFCA, Kevin Complin, and his wife Becky with us this morning. Kevin, will you come on up? Uh, Kevin's become... A great friend of mine, and uh, if you're interested in meeting him, he and his wife will be down here after the service, and you can come and say hello. It would be nice for you to greet them as well, but I'm thrilled to have you with us, and I'm so, so thankful Thank you. for you and your ministry. So Thank you.
1: Thank you. John. I appreciate it. You know, Becky and I are excited to be able to be here with you today, and we always love being out in local churches to hear what God's doing and to be able to meet several of you. So I'd encourage, I hope, look forward to the opportunity to connecting with you after the time here. But let me first... Bring you greetings from 1,600 congregations across the United States that are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. From the East Coast to the West Coast, from the Canadian border to the tip of Texas, we have churches in small towns and large cities and urban centers and suburban centers of all different sizes, variety of different ethnicities, and God is at work across the FCA. Also, to say hi to you and bring greetings to you from our 500 Reach Global Missionary staff in about 40 countries around the world. And we see what God is doing here in the United States and around the world. But out of that, let me say thank you. Thank you to you as a congregation for your partnership with us on the district level, on a national level here in the United States and through REACH Global around the world. I I know many of you have been on short-term mission trips in different REACH Global sites around the world. Several of REACH Global staff members have come out of this church. In fact, chatted with a couple of them already today. And the opportunity to be able to see what God is doing both here and around the world through the EFCA. So thank you for being a part of that with us and that partnership together. But I also want to just give a really specific thank you to you as a congregation because in June of this year, Becky and I will be back. We'll be back in Fullerton because your church is hosting our EFCA1 national conference the third week of June. There'll be pastors and church leaders from across the United States, missionary staff from around the world that'll be gathered here for three or four days of teaching and encouragement and learning together and recognizing that we are better together in the EFCA. So thank you. And Darren, I want to thank you and your staff. You've done a great job working with us and getting preparations for this, and we're looking forward to being back with you. Well, let me pray, because God's going to open his word to us through his spirit today. Father, I ask now that your spirit would take your word and would just move powerfully and profoundly in our hearts. We, we long that you would speak to us. We, we believe that your word is the truth. And we believe your spirit's our teacher. So, Lord, we, we just want to tell you, we open our hearts to what you have for us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is a very special day. And it's a day we traditionally call Palm Sunday. And it really, in a sense, begins this amazing week of reflection and remembering and ends with rejoicing a week from the day when we think about all that happened in that final week of the Lord Jesus' earthly life here. And we we remember that from a celebratory parade on Palm Sunday as he was brought into the city of Jerusalem to that Good Friday where he was nailed on the cross to that Resurrection Easter Sunday when the tomb was empty and they declared he is risen. And Becky and I were chatting. We'd love to be back with you next, next weekend for all that's going on here. We are elsewhere in the U.S. next weekend, but we're excited about what God is doing here because he's doing some really, really good things. Now, I was very thankful that Darren reached out to me a number of months ago and said, hey, would you come and speak on this day? And then I found out that I was part of a three-part series on kingdom economics, on really looking at what does God value? What are the values of the kingdom of God? And over the last couple of weeks, as you've talked about glory and the significance of the fact that we, we can give glory to God through our worship and through the other things. We'll talk a little bit about that later today. We can give glory to God. And last week, thinking about love, the fact that the scriptures say that God is love and out of the love he's poured into our hearts, And we can share that love with others. And even in that, bring him glory. Well, Today, we're going to look at the third part of that series that that I'm calling the the upside-down economics of the kingdom of God. I ask you to take your Bibles or your device, if you'd open it up, and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Because we're going to look at a couple of stories in Mark chapter 10 today where Jesus clarifies the values that some people were holding and the values of his kingdom and this sort of upside-down economy of the kingdom of God in two areas of service and sacrifice. So, you know, when we, when we think about kingdom values, and what's, what's interesting is even this passage we're going to look at today leads us right up to Mark 11, which is where Palm Sunday, uh, the events of Palm Sunday happen. But we think about the things that we value And I ask myself, so what do we do in relation to those things that we value? Well, certainly, the things that we value, we love. Uh, The things that we value, we invest our time and our energies, our money, our resources. We invest in those things that we value. In fact, in reality as well, we passionately pursue them. We joyfully celebrate them. And we hang on to them pretty tightly. Those things that we really, really value. Now, I, do you remember back that first car you ever had? Uh, the very first car that I ever had, it was a death trap, I just have to tell you. My first car was a Chevy Corvair. If you're old enough to remember that, they were death traps on wheels. But I had I'd gotten a job in a grocery store stocking shelves and I saved some money. And as I got enough money, I was able to buy this car. Death trap or not, I waxed it, I cleaned it, I told everybody about it. And I, I grew up in far northwestern Minnesota, about 50 miles from the Canadian border, where we have 10 months of winter and two months of bad sledding. And if you don't believe that, they have a blizzard going on right there today in that part of the country. But what I loved about my car with a Corvair, it was like a VW Beetle, the engine was in the back. I could make that car go around more times on an icy parking lot than any of my friends. I loved it. I talked about it. I saved money for it. I valued it. I was rejoicing over it. And now if I fast forward to today, I'd love to tell any of you about my nine grandchildren. We go and see our kids and I tell my children, you know, the truth is, I'm not here to see you. I'm here to see my grandkids. And I rejoice in them. I spend time with them, invest in them. And you know, when you think about the things that we value in reality, if we ask the question, so how do I even know what I value? Probably pretty easy. Ask yourself, where do you spend your time and your money? Look at your calendar and then look at your bank statements online. And then you ask yourself, so what frustrates me when it doesn't work? And I was thinking about that the other day. And I was thinking about something that really frustrated me. And then I asked, why did it frustrate me? And I thought, oh, it's because I valued something that didn't happen. And I was really frustrated. Or, or maybe you could ask yourself the question, when, you're, when you find yourself thinking and you're just sort of dreaming, you're kind of dreaming about wow, what could happen. And you're, you're just projecting into the future. What are those things that... You say, wow, if I could just do this or have this or experience this or go there, it would bring me great satisfaction and joy. And that's probably something that you value. Well, in the text we're going to look at today, Jesus exposes the values in the hearts of some of the people we'll see. And he clarifies for them what his kingdom values are. And he really takes the values of the world and turns them on their head. Look with me, starting in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. And as, was, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And we're going to stop there because I want to talk a little bit about this first scene. What we find here is Jesus is beginning a journey. And if you read through this chapter and into the next, you'll see it's a journey that eventually takes him into the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And as he starts out on this journey, this young man, and we we read in the other gospel accounts that we know that he's wealthy, we know that he's young, and one of the other gospel accounts says that he's a ruler. So this is a young man of wealth and influence and authority. And he comes to Jesus and he kneels down before him. and And he calls him good teacher. Jesus' response is interesting. In fact, it's probably more shocking to us than it would have been to this young man. Where he said, well, who is good? Only God is good. And then they go on in their dialogue. And Jesus said, so you know the commandments. And he goes on and he really lays out commandments 5 through 10 of 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 the 10 commandments. He says, you know these. And then the young man looks at Jesus and said, yes, but I've, I've done those. I've, I've followed those from the time I was old enough to be accountable to today. And I think really what he was trying to say is not that this was some sense of work salvation. It was more that this young man was saying, I'm a good guy. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. I've been living a good life. What else is there? And Jesus, knowing the man's heart, says something that might be a bit shocking for us. And, and let me say, before we get to it, Jesus is not saying here that everyone one to just sell everything and give everything away. What he is doing is he's looking into the heart of this man and knows the things he values, he's holding on to that he won't let go of. And he says to him, there's only one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it's like Jesus held a mirror up to the man's life. And the man was confronted with what he really valued. And he chose current wealth and things over eternity. And it says he went away sad and sorrowful. Then his disciples were really I mean, they were really in a quandary. They were this sense sort of of, if he can't get eternal life, how about us? We have no hope. And the reason they thought that is because in Jewish culture of the day, there was this belief that wealth equals the blessing of God. So if you're wealthy, you had the most of God's blessings upon you. So they said, if if it's... That hard for him as a wealthy person. What about us? And Jesus says something very profound. He said, it's not possible for humans, but it is for God. And then he went on to say something that we'll come back to in a minute. But it's this idea. Jesus said, because Peter goes on then and says, hey, what about us? We gave up everything to follow you. Doesn't that come for something? And I'd love to have a picture of Jesus' face, wouldn't you? At that moment, and he looks at Peter, and he says, I tell you the truth. If you give up these things that you highly value to follow me and serve me, there'll be things that will be replacements for them. The relationships replaced in the family of God. The things you have all be there for you. Not only here, but eternal life. And then he says something at the very end, which is where he flips all of this on its head. Look with me at verse 31. But many who will be first will be last, and the last will be first. Come back in the text with me. Let's look at the second story. In verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, if you took that passage and you set it right side by side with the events that happened on Good Friday, you will see Jesus clearly knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And then James and John, being clueless, and I would say with some pretty poor EQ, only heard Jesus say about a coming kingdom. And in verse 32, Five, this is what we read. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I've been baptized? I think he's kind of saying, do you remember what I just told you like three minutes ago? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Probably because James and John got the... First chance to ask Jesus for that. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John. Hey Jesus, we hear that you've told us you're coming in your kingdom. Wow. Could we be your like number one and number two guys? Could we be at your right and your left hand? Can you really go through it? I'm gonna have to go through, Jesus said. Oh yeah, we can do it for sure. Oh, you're going to have to go through some things, Jesus said. It's not for me to grant who's going to be at my right and my left. But then he goes on and he takes what they value and he puts it squarely upside down. Because he said, you know, in the world around us, those who exercise authority, those who lord it over other people, that's what people think is significant. Not so among us. In fact, he says that those who would have high authority should be servants. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a slave. Because even I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Good Friday, when you think and we think together about Jesus being nailed on a cross, suffering and dying, he took the price you and I should have paid. He was our ransom, paid a price to buy us out of slavery to sin. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give myself. And in fact, when you think about these upside-down sense of the kingdom and what's a part of the kingdom of God, what we realize is that from these passages, the upside-down values of the kingdom are service over status and sacrifice over self. You look back at that rich young ruler, he wanted to be known as a good guy. He wanted to be known as an upright person. He wanted to have that status. He wanted to have wealth. He wanted to be a, have authority. He wanted to be seen as a good guy. For him, it was about status. And Jesus said, no, it's about service. It's not about those things you want to hold on to. It's about sacrifice. It's service over status. It's sacrifice over self. The same with James and John. And the other 10, by the way, because they wish they could have gotten in first like James and John did. He said, no, it's it's, it's not about being great. It's about being a servant. It's, It's not about being first so that you yourself could be first. It's about being a slave. It's about sacrifice. That's what my kingdom is about. And I think about that. I think how antithetical that is to the world around us. But then if you took time, maybe later this afternoon, you can go back and you can read the rest of Mark chapter 10. Jesus is still on this journey and he's on his way to eventually to the Mount of Olives and then down into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He gets to the city of Jericho and there's a blind man. And and the blind man is calling out. And Jesus stops knowing everything that's before him. Knowing that he's going to get to 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 the Mount of Olives. There'll be a crowd with him. They'll come down into the city. All the things that are going to happen in the next week. He knew them all. We find that in the text. But he stops. And with a heart of compassion, he calls the blind man to him. And he heals him. Even think back to that rich young man, the one who wouldn't let go of all the possessions that he had. It says in the text, if you go back and read in Mark 10, Jesus loved him. And because he loved him so much, he confronted him with his own selfish values. And challenged him to have the values of the kingdom. Not because he was was trying to be mean. Because he loved him. There's this sense of love and compassion. Just like he has for us. Because the reality is we all struggle with those values we want to hang on to. Those things we don't want to let go of. We all have some of those. Maybe reputation. It may be things for you. I'm not sure. But we all have them. And the loving heart of Jesus, he confronts us with our values that aren't his. And he says, if you really want to follow me and be obedient to me, let me shape your heart so that my values become yours. We see it also in the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This attitude of Jesus, of coming to serve, of being willing to sacrifice, Paul says That's the attitude that should be in us. That we would be willing to count others as more important than ourselves. That there'd be a sense of humility. There'd be a sense of being willing to, well, if I can say it this way, be like Jesus and kind of give yourself away. That's the heart of Christ. You know, I think back to what what Darren shared two Sundays ago about glory. And he said, you know what, there are many ways we can glorify God through singing and worship through, in this case, I'd talk about service and sacrifice, how we could do that. But part of that glory is the sense that we get a chance to, 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 to almost re-engage or to, to, to share the attributes of God. And as we share those things, it brings him glory as we reemphasize them, as we retell them. Well, isn't that true then? Wouldn't that be the same? If, if out of the heart of Jesus, his heart is a heart of service and sacrifice, that as we live the values of the upside down kingdom of God, that when we actually serve out of humility and we're willing to set some of our va- uh, the va- things we value and set them down before the Lord and say, all right, Lord, take these and, and, and do with them what you would desire. And we are willing to sacrifice how God is glorified because we're showing forth the heart and the character of Jesus. And it reflects his love. So when you think of all three of these Sundays, they tie together the glory of God that we can then display to others. The love of God that we then show to others as we live out the upside down values of the economy of the kingdom of God. By evidencing ser- servanthood over status and sacrifice over self. But, you know, you might say, whoa, wait a minute, there's, there's like some risk here. I mean, my goodness, I mean, there, I'm going to have to lay some things down. But, but can I say there's risk, but there's incredible reward? Go back and read In Mark chapter 10, later today, Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 31, that passage where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you're willing to lay down those things that you value, here in this world, in the context of the church and the relationships we have with people of God, they'll be replaced for you in amazing ways. And oh yeah, there'll be some persecution. It'll be hard. But there's an eternal value that's awaiting us that is incredible. The values of the, well, the upside down values of the economy of God's kingdom. I remember in the early days of serving at Hillside Church, an evangelical free church in San Jose, that the children's director in our church Every day had to drive between her home and her office past a neighborhood, densely populated neighborhood, filled with first-generation Hispanic and Southeast Asian immigrants. And as she walked by, God began to just talk on her heart for the children that were living in that neighborhood. She saw these kids. And she started asking, Lord, what can we do to be able to impact the lives of these children for the gospel? And for a year, she drove by and prayed. And after a year of prayer, God brought someone to her out of the church who was a bilingual teacher in the local elementary school where almost all these children attended. And he knew a Christian family in the neighborhood. And so we were able to begin a Bible club on Saturday mornings on some blankets in the dirt in front of a fourplex. And out of that Bible study, a young couple from our congregation with a brand new little baby girl felt moved by God as they had prayed and been involved in this ministry. They felt moved by God to leave this really nice apartment they had in a great neighborhood in San Jose to rent an apartment and live in this neighborhood which was the number one police call neighborhood in our city. And they went there just to love on the people. So after school, they would open their their apartment and husband was at work His wife was home with their little baby. She opened their apartment for children to come so she could help them with their homework. Well, before long, the apartment was just overrun with elementary school like kids that desperately needed help with their homework. And so she started asking people from the church to come. Just come and help us with this. And soon their apartment was full and we had people volunteering and these kids were coming to faith in Jesus. And it was incredible. And I remember the day she called me. I'm in my office, she called, she said, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Kevin, the apartment right below us is coming up for rent. Could we rent it? Could we rent it as a ministry center? And I called our missions chair. I said, "Uh, what do you think about the idea? And this is what he said to me. He said, hey, we have about three months worth of rent that we have in a fund. Let's go for it and believe God will provide. That ministry is still going today. God provided. And not only that, God brought volunteers and people from the church, from high school students. In fact, three of our children volunteered there. Becky volunteered there. Five years after the ministry started, I found myself sitting in a State of the City address where the mayor of San Jose was addressing the city council and the leaders of the city, and I was there with the director of our ministry, and he called her forward and presented with her with a friend of the city award because he said that neighborhood has gone from the number one police call neighborhood in our city to hardly showing up on the registers anymore. And I don't know what you people are doing there, but please don't stop. Somebody prayed, saw a need, and went. few years ago, I found myself sitting in my friends, Nubako and Claudine Solinga's home in Kinshasa, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, this sprawling city of now about 13 million people. They had moved from the northwest corner of the country where he had been the president of the Congo Free Church, and they moved down to Kinshasa to begin some work for our mission Reach Global. And his wife, Claudine, began to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have for me that you might want me to do? I don't know. And as she began to, to walk through her neighborhood in the city, she came across young women, young girl, one after the other, who were selling drugs or themselves. And she said, Lord, I need to start something to care for these girls. And so she invited them to come on Sunday afternoons to just sit in a circle of chairs on the patio outside their home, And she began to teach them the Bible. And they started coming to faith in Jesus. And and she said, well, she started asking the Lord, Lord, I mean, unless these young women have some way to support themselves, they're going to go right back into selling drugs and prostitution, what can I do? And then she said, well, what skills do I have? And it's like God prompted her and said, you are a master seamstress. Teach them to sew. And so I remember... A months later, sitting in their home, watching these young women with a couple of treadle sewing machines, being taught how to sew and being discipled as women of God. He started what they called their first Tabitha Center. Today, my friends, there are 300 Tabitha Centers in the city of Kinshasa. And some of the young men who were kind of in the same situation said, what about us? Isn't there anything for us? And so now they've started 30 follow me centers where they're teaching young men job skills and the scriptures, leading them to Christ, discipling them and giving them hope. Why? Because one woman said, Lord, show me what you would have me do. What do I have that you could use? And she stepped out and invited a few young women into their home. Now, I know several of you, at least a couple of teams of you, have gone up to Paradise, California to our EFCA crisis response site up in Paradise because I've talked to a couple of you this morning already. And up in Paradise, when the the fire went through Paradise, it just leveled everything. The free church that's up there, the building was not burned. But the vast majority of the people in the church lost their homes and like 80% of them took the insurance money and just left town. They said, we're not going to rebuild here. They were gone. There were about 30 people left and Reach Global Crisis Response came in and began with teams from churches like yours. People like you who would say, hey, I could tear some stuff out of a burned out house. I could build some things. I could actually feed the teams that are coming. I can make some food and serve them. And so teams came and I talked to the pastor a month ago and he said, Kevin, you won't believe it. He said, we went from like 30 people. The church is larger today than it was before the fire. And the city is, is like only one-fifth the size it was before the fire. And people in our community now know us as a church who cares for the people in our community. Because people from the teams went out and they loved on people. And they took people from our church with them. And we've learned how to take the simple skills and heart that we have and care for people around us. And my friends you can do that here, right? I mean, maybe it's a neighbor across the street that just came in back from the hospital. Maybe it's teaching four-year-olds or going on a short-term mission trip. Or maybe it's finding an area of prayer ministry. I, there's a lot of ways you could serve here. Maybe it's with somebody that you work with. Or maybe it's like, Some friends Becky and I visited last Tuesday where the husband is caring for his wife in the last days of her life and joyfully serving her and sacrificing with the love of Christ for the bride of his youth. I don't know what it is for you. It doesn't have to be complicated. But what I do know is that the heart of the good shepherd says to you, I want to help shepherd your heart so that you can step into some of these things. And and you might ask, so how do I do that? Can I give you three words? They're real simple. This isn't rocket science. First, pray. Pray that God would change your heart and grip your heart for his values and that the Lord would begin preparing you for what he has for you. Pray that he would show you who and where and what that he would want you to be involved in and pray for those that you will be engaging with. And then secondly, look, be observant. Where is God at work? Join him there. Where is there a need? Step into it. Where is there an opportunity that you could become a part of that? Here in the church, in your neighborhood, in your job place. I don't know where, but they're out there. And then the third word is go. Step out, be courageous. Pray, look, go. God has some things for you because the values of his kingdom are upside down values. It's service over status and sacrifice over self. What's he asking you to do? Lord Jesus, I pray now that you, by your Holy Spirit, would tenderly and profoundly be stirring in our hearts, asking us what you want us to lay before you as an offering of worship, those things we value, and then that you would show us how you want us to invest in your kingdom with those upside-down values of service and sacrifice to your glory.
0: Amen.